A couple of years ago, I was, uh, had the privilege of doing a reconnaissance mission uh, to Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Myself and Pastor Dell zipped down there for uh, just five days or so where we went and we went to meet uh, a pastor and his church where since then we've and embarked in a partnership with this church where we, we as two churches are kind of just trying to do life together and we're trying to bless them and they're trying to bless us. It's been a really beautiful thing. But when we went down to find out, you know, is God leading us to do this and we wanted to meet the pastor and meet the people, we went down there and that was my first experience in Haiti. Anybody ever been to Haiti? Haiti's a, a, a pretty intense place, but it's also a beautiful place, and it's a place that, you know, trouble notwithstanding, there's a lot of beautiful things about this, this place and their culture, uh, wonderful, wonderful people. And so when I was down there, you know, like you do when you go to any foreign part of the world, you find out different things about different cultures, and, you know, I... I tasted their food, had, you know, plantain chips, which were awesome, by the way. Like, they're like, they taste like Lay's, but they're not as bad for you. Uh, yeah, so we had their food and just enjoyed making new friendships. And one of the things that's really interesting about Haiti, though, is travel. Um, anybody been to, like, the Caribbean? Like, you've driven in, like, Dominican Republic? All right, multiply that by a thousand and you're in Haiti. It's, in, it's insane, driving in Haiti. There's no rules, no holds bars. You're dodging chickens and buses, and it's nuts. And anyway, I'm down there, and one of the things I found over the days is we got a little more, I got like, I, I like let, let go of my death grip on the, on the handle in the car, and I started looking around. Uh, I, I noticed that there's this common thing there that a lot of people in Haiti, they don't have their own vehicles, which is no surprise, I'm sure, but they all do this public transportation called tap-taps. And tap-taps are these, like, large buses or large vans, sorry, or small buses. And they're owned whether by an individual or by a company. And they're, they just, they're, they're just essentially public transportation where people will hop on and they'll go to where they want to go. And they'll load these things up, like 40 people in a Ford Aerostar. It's insane. But the, one of the cool things about these tap-taps is that each taxi driver or tap-tap driver will take the time and they'll express themselves by painting whatever they're into on the tap-tap. So they saw the most crazy paintings and the most crazy artwork on some of these tap-taps. Like you saw, I saw one with Hulk Hogan and one with Halle Berry and one with The Rock on it. Like just, I don't know, like you do, you just paint The Rock on your taxi. But most of them, I would say the vast majority of the tap-taps had Jesus painted on there. Like, like every type of Jesus, too. There was like black Jesus and Jewish Jesus and Swedish Jesus with the long feathered hair. Like all of the Jesuses that, that you can imagine were painted on these tap-taps. Actually, I think I have a picture of one of them. Do we have that picture? So that's a tap-tap. And so... About, I would say 80% of these, and i, I got to tell you, there are like thousands of these. About 80% of them had Jesus or some kind of Christian jargon painted all over it. And so a few days in, I asked my buddy Carl, who's the missionary down there and a good friend of mine. We went to college together. I said, Carl, are, is there like a, a Christian taxi driver's union I don't know about? Like, are, is every taxi driver a Christian? Like, is that, what's up with that? What's up with all these buses with Jesus on it? And he laughs at me. He says, no, they're not all Christians. He says, no, it's just, he just says, just because you paint Jesus on a bus doesn't mean you're a Christian. I'm like, ah. And he goes, yeah, no, some of, them, some of them might well be Christians, but a lot of them perhaps, some of them, at first, they, they painted it on there because of just superficial reasons. They, they painted Jesus on there maybe to hopefully get a certain clientele. Maybe they think that Christians will come and, and take their bus. And then there's a lot of them that it's not superficial, but it's more superstitious. They'll paint Jesus on their bus in hopes that Jesus, they believe in Jesus, will bless their business. And so basically it's one of those two reasons that they'll paint Jesus on the bus. So they're either 
being superficial, like they kind of believe in Jesus, but they don't really, it doesn't, doesn't really make any difference in their life. It's just something on the outside. Or some of them, it's just a superstitious reason. They very much believe in Jesus, but they think that if they paint Jesus on the bus, then Jesus will bless their business. I remember, and I'll never forget that conversation because I thought, man, when he said that, like just because you paint Jesus on your bus doesn't make you a Christ follower. And I got thinking about my own life and thinking about how, how much of my life I've spent somewhere between those two dynamics. I don't know if you've ever, those of you who've followed Jesus for more than a week, you've probably felt yourself in one of those two extremes. There have been seasons in my life where my life in Jesus was no more than just painting Jesus on the outside of the bus. It was superficial. There was nothing about my life that really looked like Jesus or loved Jesus. It was just something I was. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then there were seasons, though, where I knew that that wasn't right, and I knew God was calling me to more. And so I, I combated my superficiality with basically what is superstition. Some people would call it religion. And religion essentially is this idea that if I do this, then God will grace me in a certain way. If I follow the rules and I pray the right prayers and I go to church and I do all the right things, then God will bless my business. And that's where a lot of us find ourselves when it comes to living this idea of faith. Most, most all of us have spent some time at one extreme or the other, that extreme between superficiality and superstition. And what I've found in my own life is just that's not the way to live. And that's not the way that God actually intended us to live as people of faith. Because both of these extremes lead to frustration, failure, and oftentimes we just forfeit our faith altogether. And I've seen people who have lived too long over here where they've not really absorbed the faith and they've not really brought it to the inside and it's been this outside thing about their lives and, and they just end up giving up altogether because it doesn't make any real difference in their lives. And then I've seen these people over here more consistently. Old timers call it holiness, where they'll modify their behaviors in every way they can imagine in the hopes that God will bless them in a certain way. And then when God doesn't bless them how they thought, they feel betrayed and they think, I was good and this is how you repay me. And I, gotta, I want to suggest to you today as we come to Colossians chapter 3 that actually there's a way that God calls us to live that truly brings life and it is neither, neither of these two options. If you have a Bible, open to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, we find Paul the Apostle writing this letter to these real people in a real time in a city called Colossus, and he's just a small little church, perhaps the smallest church that he wrote to, and he wrote to these people who were finding themselves between these two extremes. There were some people in the church who they, they, they believed in God. Like last week, some of you came to church, and the, maybe you're one of the 53 people who decided, you know what, I hear the evidence, I hear the story, I feel it in my heart, I'm going to say I believe in Jesus. And he spoke to, first and foremost to these people, and there are people in the church in Colossus who had believed in Jesus, but that was it. There was nothing else to it. They believed Jesus. They painted them on the outside of the bus. But there was nothing going on in their lives that gave any evidence of the fact that they are actually a Christ chin, a Christ one, a disciple. And so Paul writes to them and says, hey, listen, your mindset about this whole thing of faith is twisted. Because you can't call yourself Christ's ones, a Christian or a disciple or a follower of Jesus and not start to look like Jesus and start to talk like Jesus and start to walk like Jesus and start to be like Jesus. There actually is a being and a walking that, that accompanies this faith we have in Jesus. He said, hey, you got to get it untwisted. Having belief in something is not the same as having faith in something. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's one thing to believe. Like, I, right now, you believe that this here stage is going to hold me up. I have faith in it. 
correct? I'm standing on it. You're not. Like, I believe that the Maple Leafs are a hockey team. I just don't have faith in them. Right? Like, there's a difference between belief and faith. And this is where a lot of people in their journey get stuck. They get stuck at belief. They think that all I need to do is just believe in who Jesus is, and that's it. And their lives don't change. It's, it's no better than these tap-tap drivers who paint Jesus on there, and it's just this superficial reality. And so Paul writes to them, and he says this, and we read the verse earlier. He said in Colossians 2, verse 6, he said, Therefore, just as you receive the Lord, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. Get up. Stand in your faith. Walk it out. Walk the walk. Talk the talk. He says, rooted and built up in him. Just keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that. And established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing in joy. He's saying there's this correlation that you have, you can't live this superficial life. Like Jesus promised you better than that, and he wants you to abound in thanksgiving, abound in joy, but you will not experience the life that God has for you and all the blessing God has for you if you stay seated just in your belief. You gotta walk it out. He said, untwist your thinking. This whole faith thing's a lot bigger than just believing that God died for your sins. That's part of it, but he said, just as you have received Christ in faith, so walk in him in faith. Being a Christian and experiencing life to the full, we talked about that last week. Is anybody here last week? We talked about how Jesus came. He said, I come that you may have life and life to the full. In order to experience life to the full, you gotta get up. You can't just sit in your belief. You gotta start walking in it. And so Paul presses this on them, but then he, then he spends a longer time. So he addresses this crowd in, in chapter 2. And then at the end of chapter 2, he comes over here and he starts to deal with the superstitious crowd that were found in the church, in, in the Colossian church. Because there was a larger group of people who they had come up with the idea that, okay, obviously God calls us to life change. And obviously we're supposed to look like Jesus. Like Jesus said, follow me. Jesus said, love me and obey my commands. So obviously we can't settle for like having nothing change in our lives. So we're going to change everything about our lives. And we're going to get out our checklist. And we're going to only do these things. And we're going to never do these things. And we're not going to drink or smoke or chew or go with girls who do. And we're going to do all these right things and get everything in order. And Paul actually writes to these people and he says, hey, you're worse off than the superficial people because you're setting yourself up for frustration or self-righteousness. Look what he says. Colossians chapter 2, verse 22. I don't know if we have this or not, but just listen. At the end of, at the end of chapter 2, he starts talking to the religious people saying, listen, you follow your rules. You talk about not eating certain foods and not worshiping at certain, certain junctures and not having certain friendships. And look what he, Paul says. He says, such rules and mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them, these rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion and pious self-denial and severe bodily discipline, but they provide no help in conquering a person's evil desires. What's he saying? He's saying you can modify your behavior all day long. You can white-knuckle it. You can identify certain sins and certain things you shouldn't do and you shouldn't, but the way to get victory over it is not by trying harder. Such things provide no help in conquering your desires. It's like my lawn in the summer. When I go outside and I, I mow it and for like 10 minutes, I'm, I'm dandelion free. It's amazing. It looks so pristine. And then the sun shifts in the sky, and they all start popping up like little, little kids giving me the finger. Like, hey, still here, man. Still here. Well, how you like me now? How you like me? 
Is that too much? Is that too much? I hate, I freaking hate my dandelions. I'm just going to be real with you for a minute. And I don't know if you've ever followed Jesus, but you, 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 it's like, it's like you come to church and you hear about certain things and it's like, it's like you, you get the lawn mowed and then you leave and you start going about your life and all of a sudden the weeds start popping back out of your heart. You ever notice that? Like, am I, don't judge me. Yeah, I'm not the only one. Like, that's, that's how it works. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying, listen, the key to life, it's more than this superficial idea of faith. It's way more than that. But do not get it twisted into thinking this is about something that you do. And it's on this backdrop that Paul actually gives us the key to living in a way that actually allows us to flourish in every way. And I want to show you, it's in, it's in chapter 3. I'm really excited about this because I, I needed to hear this this week. But the key is in this verbiage, and he uses it all through the book. He says this, and I want to, you already read it in verse 6. Colossians 2, verse 6 says, Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, let's bring that up, verse 6, Colossians 2, verse 6. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so walk in him. In him. He says it over and over, this idea of being in him. Look what he says. Let's bring, bring up chapter 3. Verse 1, he's going to show you what it means to be in Christ, and he's going to show you what the key to actually living the life that God has blessed you and called you to live. Look at this, verse 1. It says that since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Okay, he's already appealing to your mind and your mindset. Get that in, get that in your head. Verse 3, here it is. For, God, for you died to this life, so your horizontal life, this life that you now know, you have died to it, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Your real life, like who you actually are, he says, shift it. You, you get, you're twisted in your mindset. You think you're that, but who you actually are, if you believe in Jesus, your real life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you'll share in his glory. Here's the first thing. He's talking about living your life in Christ. That your identity is actually found in Jesus. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to be in Christ? You might, you might have been to church your whole life and you heard people say that and you're like, what does that actually mean? Well, he says it right here. If you're taking notes, here's number one. To be in Christ means that I am covered by his grace. I'm covered by his grace. That who I am, my identity, my self-perception is based on the grace of Jesus that covers every inch of my life. That's what he's saying. He's saying, no longer look at your life through the lens of humanity. No longer look at your life or anyone else's on the horizontal plane. He's saying, set your mind on things above and get Jesus' perspective on you. He's saying, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So, so your identity, how you think about yourself and how you process your life and information begins with first and foremost having the reality fixed in your mind that who I am is identified, validated, vindicated, and justified by Jesus. 
that I am no longer the substance of my actions. I am no longer the substance of my relationships. I am no longer the substance of my successes or failures. I am exclusively covered in the identity of Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ, that you actually are. Like, when you, where, you, where do you get your justification from? How many of us just want to be justified? Like, you just want to be right. You just want someone to say, yeah, good job. You just want someone to, to notice what you did there. And all of a sudden, when you are in Christ, now my justification comes from Jesus alone. Or what about validation? How often are you starving for validation? Like that somebody would just come alongside of you and, and validate you, like make you feel a certain degree of self-worth. And what's Paul saying? He's saying no longer do we get our validation or our justification from our careers, from what people say about us, from whether we succeed or fail. Your validation, your identification, your justification, any other Asian comes from your identity in Jesus. That's good stuff. You are covered in the grace of of Jesus. He says, don't get it twisted. Don't get it twisted. You have received grace. Why is that important? Because here, here's why. Most of us, if you set out to follow Jesus, most of us, we believe Jesus died on the cross. We believe he rose again. We, we believe on him for salvation. But most of us, we leave Jesus at Easter weekend and we proceed to live our lives to try to get more grace i got to please God, or i got to work off my transgressions, or i got to do this or that, and we try to get grace, and we live for grace. And what Paul is saying is that the key to Christian victory and the key to life that flourishes is not living for grace, it's living from grace. That's way better than you just reacted. What do I mean by that? Like so many of us, we live for grace. I gotta get God to forgive me. I gotta get God to bless me. I gotta get God to do this, or I gotta get this or that or this. And, and, and Paul is saying, no, 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 no. You actually live out of the overflow of what you've already been given. And so the key to victory is not to try to go get justification and go get validation and go get identification and affirmation. The key to victory is actually realizing that in Christ, you already have it in droves. You're covered by it, like every inch of you. You, if you are in Jesus, you could not possibly be, be more justified. You could not possibly be more accepted. Like, think about this. Let's just go, let's go heaven's view here, the, 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 the million foot perspective. Like, how much more acceptance could you have than God Almighty coming to earth in human form and saying, I, I don't just love you, I so love you that I'm going to actually die for the mess that you made. That's how much I accept you. I'm going to accept you like this on a cross. Like how much more accepted and validated and vindicated and affirmed and justified could you be? You are justified by grace. I don't know about you, but I, I grew up with this idea of holiness, like that, okay, I got to go be holy. I got to go do it and do it and do it. And, and your soul, doesn't it scream, do, 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 go, 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 do, do, do. And the gospel says, done, done, done. It's done. Grace finished it. Like you are fully justified in Jesus. Like you got you to settle that, Paul says. Stop living for grace. You already have it. That's who you are in Christ. Do you know that 90% of the battle of flourishing is just realizing who you already are in Jesus? That's what Paul's getting at. I remember uh, last week my friend Micah posted a picture on Instagram 
a picture on his Bible, and he had two things that he'd written in different seasons of his life. And the first one was this question he'd written that said, you know, if I love God, what would I do now? Or what would I do if I really loved God? And he, he used that as a filter to make decisions. And, you know, and it sounds good, doesn't it? It sounds pious. It sounds committed. Like, yeah, I really, I really love God. But that's the stuff that can't change your heart. And he said, I came to a season in my life where I was starting to realize that I don't live for pleasing God. I live from the fact that he's already pleased with me. And he shifted the question. I think we have it on the screen or we might have already had it. He said, what would I do right now if I knew the Lord loved me? Like, how would I, how would you live your life? Like, how would you go to work if you already felt affirmed? How would you make choices in your career or your business if you already felt completely successful? How would you live your life if you already felt fully justified? How would you deal with that jerk who steps in front of you at Tim Hortons because they think their time's more important than yours? If you already felt fully justified, right? It changes everything. It absolutely changes everything to realize your identity is now in Christ. And so you are covered and saturated in the grace of God. What would I do if I already knew I was covered in grace? You're covered. Some of you are saying, yeah, but you don't know that thing that I did. No, you're covered in grace. Yeah, but there's that thing that I try not to even remind myself that I did, and I shove it way down and try to pretend like that never happened. No, everything in your life has been covered in the grace of God. When you've put your faith in Jesus, you have taken on his righteousness. That's what it means in 2 Corinthians 5, where it says, the Bible, it says in the Bible, where God made him who knew no sin, he was perfect, to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? It means that if you are in Christ, when God sees you, he sees his son's perfect track record. You say, yeah, but I'm not perfect. No, you're not, but Christ is. And if you are in Christ, you are perfect. How amazing is that? Like, oh, breathe out. Like God's not mad at you when you're in Christ. He's poured out his cup of wrath already. Like he says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased over your life. And you know full well like, no, no, he, there's no way he can be pleased with that. No, he's not, he's not pleased with your track record. He's pleased with Jesus' track record. And as you come to the grace of Jesus, that becomes your track record. That's what Paul meant when he said, put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. Remind your heart every day that your identity is not found in what you have done or not done, said or not said, succeeded or failed. Your identity is now exclusively from above in Christ. Wow. Some of you need to resolve that. Some of you have an idea that you got to get God off your back. Like, no, God is for you. He's not against you. If you are in Christ, like, like resolve these things. Like, let me read some scriptures to you. John 1.12 says, I am a child of God. Like last night, Melanie, Mel, I got home um, from church, and Melanie put the kids to bed, and our, our almost two-year-old, he's, he's just a fun little guy, but he's challenging and uh, she put him to bed, and she, I got home, and she said, oh, man, Alex just destroyed me. I put him to bed, and I, I was leaving, I was leaving the, the, I was shutting his door, and he goes, love you, mama, right? Like, he's 20 months old, right? Or 21 months old. Love you, mama. Like, and she said, that just destroyed my heart. And I said, that's, that's, how much of your life would change if you just believe that, like, God sees us like that? I love you, Dada. 
like, wouldn't that change everything? If, like, if God loves me, like I love my boys and my girl, like, whew, rest in grace. You're a daughter, you're a son. John 15, 5 says, I'm Christ's friend. Like, we're buds. Like, I, he, can, like he has my number. He can text me. Like, I'm his friend. Isn't that amazing? Like, we have access, like, fridge rights at each other's house. Like, we're friends. Romans 5 says, I've been justified by God. What's justified mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. First Corinthians 6, I'm united with the Lord. I'm one in spirit with him. Ephesians 1, I'm a saint. It also says I'm holy. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins, Colossians says. Colossians 2, we just read it. I'm complete in Christ. I could go on all day. But if you ever want to flourish, it's not from painting Jesus on the exterior of your life. It's not from being really good and really trying really hard. It's from resting in the fact of who you are in him already. It's covering yourself every day. Like dip yourself in the grace of God. Like every day when I get up, you need to declare over your life, I am not who people say I am. I'm not what my track record says I am. I'm not what my urges say I am. I'm not what my emotions say I am. I am who he says I am. I'm a son. I'm a daughter. I'm forgiven. I'm cleansed. I'm pure. I'm clean. I'm called. I am everything he says I am. You gotta, every day, fix your mind there and then go about your business. I'm covered in grace. Let's keep going. I, I don't have a lot of time. I, this needs to be a series. We're going to do a Colossians series someday because this is such a good book. Colossians, he keeps going in verse 5. Let's read it. If you have your Bibles, keep, keep going. Keep it open. So he says, so put to death sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Now, don't run ahead over here to superstitious religion zone. He's going to qualify it. Hold tight. He said, we've already established our identity. Now put to death sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater. You're worshiping money or stuff, worshiping things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and its wicked deeds. Here it is. Verse 10, if you're going to highlight or underline, underline this. Put on your new nature, what you just talked about, and be renewed as you try really, really hard. That's not in my translation. I don't know if that's on the screen. Be renewed as you go to church and learn how to be a really good person and make sure that you cross all your T's and dot all your I's. No, it says, be renewed as you learn to know your creator and then become like him. That's how you become holy. Like, how much heartache would that have saved? I know, I know there are people who grew up in, like, the holiness movement and have spent way more years in it than I have, but how much pain and regret and shame and humiliation and frustration would it have saved you if someone just told you the way that you become like Jesus is not from trying to be like Jesus. The way that you become like Jesus is from knowing Jesus. That's it. Oh, God. 
Like you, you, you just know grace and grace rubs off on you and it changes you. That's how it works. He says, put on your new nature and be renewed, be changed and transformed as you learn to know your creator, your savior, Jesus. As you learn to know him, that's how you're changed. So it's not leaving church and saying, I got to work it. I got I to be perfect. I'm going to be the freaking Chuck Norris Christian. I'm going to bench press Bibles and I'm just going to... I've felt like that before. Like, you fail, you fail, you fail, and you're like, not today, right? And then you do again, because that's not how you change. You are transformed by grace. Listen, you are saved by grace, and you're changed by grace. The very same person and work and substance that saved you is the very same work that changes you. So number two, to be in Christ means I am changed by grace. Like, grace funds your life and it fuels transformation. That's it. It's all about the grace of Jesus. Like, everything you need in your life is about being soaked and saturated and filled with the grace and presence of Jesus. That's what changes you. And then what happens as you get learned to know your creator, like Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3, he says, as we come to him with unveiled faces, as we contemplate his glory, as we see him, we are transformed into his image in ever-increasing glory. How are we transformed? By seeing Jesus. By knowing Jesus, we become more like him. That's the power of transformation. Listen, grace is the power of salvation, and grace is the power of transformation. So the answer when you are struggling with sin and you're struggling with addiction or, or whatever it is, the answer is not trying really hard. The answer is, I need to try really hard to know Jesus more because obviously I'm lacking that grace in that area. Like think about it. Maybe, maybe you have a hard time controlling your tongue. You know, you read the scriptures and you, you read James chapter 1 and, and you see like, okay, the, the tongue is serious. The Bible's serious about your words. It's not joking. It says like words create worlds and, uh, you know, a word has the power to take down a whole forest and it can destroy your ship. And so you read that and you're like, okay, I'm going to control my tongue. And then you stub your toe and you realize I can't control my tongue. The answer is not like trying to muzzle yourself. This is what's happened throughout the centuries in Christianity. This is where all that crazy stuff where people would hurt themselves and they'd whip themselves trying to change themselves. That's not how it works. How you get victory to control your tongue is not from trying to, to modify your behavior through external contraptions and devices. It's through knowing Jesus. Like think about this. Just consider for a second. Knowing the one who actually had the power to control his tongue. Like, he controlled his tongue. He said at one point, I never say anything that my father doesn't tell me to say. At one point, he's being criticized and ridiculed and questioned by Pilate, and he just gave no answer. He's standing before a crowd, and they're saying, crucify him. He's innocent. He could have spoke up. He could have said, no, I'm not. No, don't crucify me. Crucify him. He could have, he could have said anything. Even on the cross as he hung there and they were ridiculing him, the Roman guards saying, look at the Messiah, he can't save himself now. When we know, and the Bible says, he could have at any moment opened his mouth and called upon a legion of angels to come take him down. He controlled his tongue. 
And so the way that we control our tongue, our tongue is to get in proximity with him and let the grace of Jesus and the power of Jesus so transform our hearts. And we say, God, thank you for controlling your tongue. Thank you for controlling your tongue and, and having victory over it so that I can. Maybe, maybe your, your issue is forgiveness. How many of you know you can't forgive someone? You can't just make your heart not hate. You can't. It is true. The heart wants what the heart wants. So trying not to hate someone is not the answer. Learning to love Jesus more and being with the one who forgave you so much actually gets in your heart and gives you the power to forgive others. That's how it works. If you see a person and they make your blood boil, the, the, the trick is not to stand there and wait till your blood stops boiling. The trick is to get on your knees and say, Jesus, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you, that I, even though I betrayed you. You didn't count my sins against me, but you love me anyway. Thank you for, for loving me, every part of me, even though I haven't deserved it. And as you get before Jesus and you let the grace of Jesus rattle and rest in your soul, it flows out through you into your life. That's how it works. So you're changed by grace. It's grace that changes you. The whole thing is about grace. Like, I feel like I'm freeing some people up right now. Like Just breathe it in. Like, it's not about you. The whole thing, the whole Christianity thing is not about you. There's no striving or trying. Your only job is to just love Jesus and know Jesus, and he will change you. That's what he meant when he said in John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me, and you will bear much fruit. And he says on the heels of that, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, don't even bother. I mean, you can, you can be a dead branch and you can put like fruit on there, but we all know it's dead. The only way a branch grows fruit is if it's connected to the life source, to the vine. I am the vine, he says. I used to hear when Jesus would say to his disciples, he said in John, I forget which chapter it is, but he said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And I used to read that as a threat. You know, anybody know what I mean? Like I'd read that like, okay. Well, if I really love Jesus, then I better obey his commands. That's not what he's saying. It's not a threat. It's a fact. If you love Jesus, the byproduct is you will obey his commands. And if you're not obeying his commands, the issue is not your issues. The issue is you need, to, you need more grace. It's grace that changes you. I tweeted this earlier this week that, that holiness, like, like holiness is not the end result of, or holiness is not the means. How did I say this? It was way better because I got to get this right. There it is. Holiness is the byproduct of grace in your life. So it's the end of grace, not the means. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like a lot of us, we get it twisted, don't we? Okay, I got to be holy so God loves me and blesses me and gives me favor in my life. That's not how it works. It's God loves me, he blesses me and gives me favor, and it's making me holy. Thank you, Lord. You have to dip yourself in that every day. Just soak in it. So Paul says, you, you want to flourish? It's not about a paint job. It's about knowing who you are in Christ and letting that seep into your soul and change every part of you. Look what he says next. This, is, this almost gets tough to swallow. Look what he says, verse 12. Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy. Okay. Kindness. All right. Humility. Gentleness. 
and patience. Anybody feel like that's me? Yeah, that's totally me. <laughs> oh, man. He doesn't, he just doesn't let you off at all. It's because he doesn't expect you to do it. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. No problem. Remember, the Lord forgave you. There it is. Connect to the Lord. So you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And here it is. If you're underlining and highlighting, do this one. And let the peace that comes from, can you say it out loud? Comes from Christ. Let Christ's peace rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. Not just with one another, in your heart. You're called. Your calling is to be a person who lives in, in perfect peace. Yeah, but what about my circumstances? No, he says, he says, let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. Look what he says. Always be thankful. Really? Always? He says, always be thankful. Like, does he have no problems in his life? Was it just perfect in first century call us? Verse 16. He goes further. Let the message about Christ in all its riches fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. And now he's just getting crazy. Sing songs. Have a, have a sing-along, too. And hymns and spiritual, spiritual songs to God. And, and just be thankful. All the time, be thankful. All the time. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Now, if, if you are living your life in your own strength and you are not in Christ and, and you still have your twisted mentality, which this is the mentality that we have twisted, and I know we all have it and we all deal with it. We believe that peace or joy or wanting to sing comes from being happy and comes from having all these things which come as a byproduct of our external circumstances. Do we not? If I just get this, then I'll want to sing. If I just get the cancer treatment back and I'm cancer-free, then I'll have peace. If my son or daughter just comes back to faith, then I'll have courage. Then I won't be afraid anymore. He's saying, no, 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 no. Peace, joy, happiness, song, it comes from within. That peace is not found outside of yourself, which is where we look, is it not? Like if my kids would just stop driving me crazy, I'd have peace. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, let the richness of Christ dwell in your hearts and you will have peace wherever you go. Wow. So here's the third principle I want to pull out of this. To be in Christ means I am carried by grace. That it's actually grace that carries me through life, through all circumstances. Isn't that incredible? Like through everything, everything, mountaintop, valley, pain, suffering, success, failure, you know, embarrassment, credit, all of it, it's grace that carries me and that enables me to not be the, the subservient to the, to the sum of my circumstances, is what he's saying. He's saying you're called to live in peace. That your call is peace regardless of your circumstances. And some people get it twisted. They think, okay, I'm going to live in peace. So that means that God's going to make everything nice and easy for me. 
That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says you will have peace. It comes from within. You'll have peace that defies understanding. It shouldn't even make sense when you do the math and you look at your life. How can that person who's dying of cancer have peace? Because it comes from within. It comes from grace. How can that person who went through horrible tragedy, like last night we baptized a woman who lost twin girls this year. How can she stand there and not be angry at God? Because peace comes from within. It's something that God releases into your heart. See, it's grace that carries you. Like it's actually, like, so, so are you hearing this? Your entire existence as a Christian is wrapped and funded and drenched and soaked in grace. It's the whole thing. Like, look, look what Paul said. Paul said in Philippians 4, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I've been in the palace, I've been in the pit, I've been up, I've been down, I've been the tail, I've been the head, I've been shipwrecked, I've been, I've been snake bitten, I've, I've, I've preached to thousands, I've preached to one, he threw rocks at me. I've been to everything. Look what he says. I can do all of it. I can get through anything. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. That is Christianity. That's what it is to, to live in Jesus. And he's saying, he's saying in Colossians, listen, you want to flourish? You want to live this life? It's not from trying really, really hard. It's not from just painting Jesus on the exterior. It is drowning your life in grace. Jesus actually gave us a picture. Jesus gave us a picture. to help us understand how we're supposed to live this life. He actually gave us two pictures. One's communion, and we celebrate that. It's where we come to the table, and we take bread, and we break it, and we say, you know, this represents the body of Jesus, which was broken for us, and then we drink juice or wine, and this represents his blood that was poured out for us, and this is, this is salvation. But he also commanded his disciples in Matthew 28, He's about to ascend to heaven, and he's standing there with his disciples, and he says this, says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It says, therefore, in my authority, in me, go and make disciples. What's a disciple? More Christians. It says, go and make more to Christians, more Christians. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded. They have to know the truth. They have to know right from wrong. It's not, it's, you got to teach them. Then he says this, and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptize them. Now, what's the word baptize mean? Baptize comes from the Greek word baptizo. It's a fun word to say baptizo. Nah, not, not that fun. This is not the time to joke. Reminds me of Elf. Remember the, anyway. It says, teach them to obey everything I can and baptize them. Baptizo. And the word baptizo means immerse. Means submerge. That's why when we do baptism, we do it all the way in. Good. 
And he gave us this picture, and he says, okay, when someone comes to faith, what they do is they get in the water, and this represents, this represents their new life. And the water represents, it represents the grave, and that, that moment at which your identity, your old life, dies and it's buried it's buried in the grave like how Jesus came down from the cross and was put in the tomb you this is a picture of that transaction and your life is now being buried with Jesus and when you come up you come up in Christ and that's what baptism is to look like and i believe J Jesus gave us this picture because he wanted to get it in our heads like when we start to follow Jesus It's about living your life soaked. You're soaked in grace. Your whole life, like, like you're soaked in grace. When, when condemnation comes, you, you remind yourself, no, there's no condemnation. I'm in Christ Jesus. Like that's my identity. I'm soaked. I'm drenched in grace. Yeah, but you did this. No, I'm soaked in grace. There's no, no weapon formed against me. No accusation can come. I'm just drenched in grace. And it's this grace that you carry through your life. That it's, it's that grace that gives you the power to change. That's why I think Jesus gave us this picture. Because it's grace that saves us. It's grace that changes us. It's grace that goes with us. Grace even rubs off on people. That's what it is. That's the whole thing. Like some of you, you got out of your baptismal tank and you dried off and you went off to do Christianity in your own, in your own power. God never intended that. The trick is, in faith, every day, stay soaked. Just stay soaked. Like, stay soaked in grace. When temptation comes, no, that's not who I am. I'm soaked. I'm, I'm covered in grace. When, when you're going through the cancer treatments, stay soaked in grace, realizing that, you know what, even if I die, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because he's with me wherever I go. Every part of your life just drenched in God's unmerited favor. There's, and it's not going to run out. Just grace, grace for your family, grace for your mindset, grace for your, for your actions, grace for your attitudes, grace for, grace for your character, grace for your fears, grace for your anxiety, grace for your depression. There's just, there's just grace, it's abounding, endless grace. That's good freaking news, is it not? Like that's it, that's the whole thing. So I don't know, maybe some of you, you've, you've, you've gotten dry. Maybe you've been spending your life like trying to just get around and find little places that dispense a little bit of moisture and you've realized, oh, sh you know what? Shoot, God gave me this invitation to just live my life so drenched in his grace. And I just want to remind you, when we say God is good, we really mean it. He really is good. And his grace really is sufficient in every way of your life. Be satisfied by his grace. Be changed by his grace. Be transformed by his grace. You're saved by his grace. It's all about grace. Would you stand with me? I want to pray together. And I just want to, I want to just ask that the Holy Spirit would just even give you just a, a, a fresh dosing, dousing of grace. And you all can't get up here and get in with me, but just pretend. I do want to invite some of you, even now, we're going to invite the people who are going to be baptized today to come. We're going to celebrate with you. But I think there are some people here who have never actually taken that step to be baptized. And today is your day, and you need to do that. 
Jesus commanded that all of my disciples go through this. Why? Because you got to get it in your head that being a Christian means living your life soaking wet in grace. And so you need to come. You can just come up here with Pastor Greg and we'll baptize you today. So let's pray and let's start the celebration and we'll start baptizing our people for this morning. Father, we thank you today for grace. Although it's undeserved, it's freely given to us. And so God, we just receive it fresh. Lord, I pray for the one here today who maybe they're feeling guilt and condemnation. They feel like, man, I don't deserve to be in church even. Lord, would grace just so drench them? It even clogs their ears and silences the enemy. Lord, would it just drown out accusation? Would it drown out fear? Would it drown out failure and insecurity? Lord, I pray for the one here today who's been struggling in their own power to change. Lord, would your grace wash over their hearts? God, change our hearts. Your word tells us it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose and to do what pleases him. So God, would you rest in our hearts? Would you connect us to the vine and would it change our lives forever? And Father, I pray for the one here today who's going through a difficult season. Lord, I pray your grace would carry them with a peace that passes all understanding, guard their hearts in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for the one who's going through great success. I pray, Lord, as you, as you bless them, that they would see that every good and perfect gift comes from you, that it wouldn't go to their head, but it would go to their heart, and they'd realize that you are blessing them, especially in this season. So, Father, in everything, grace, grace, we thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's soaked people said, amen. Come on, say it like you're wet in grace. Amen.